love the earth and God might love it too. And we hope he loves us. Thank you, God, that you created the world for the whole world and thank you for that, the things that you've made. Dear God, um, thank you that um, we've got this earth and we pray that you watch over the people in lockdown. Thank you for Jesus, thank you for Jesus to die on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Good job. Well done. You guys can head back to your chairs. That was awesome. It's a bit scary, isn't it? (laughs) You get used to it over time. We're going to open the Bible now. We're going to open to Acts chapter 16. So as we've heard from the kids, uh, we've been in the book of Ecclesiastes, but we've finished that now. Now we're going to be moving to the book of Philippians. And so to help us think a bit about Philippians, we're going to study how the Bible, uh, sorry, how the gospel first came to the city of Philippi. And Acts tells us all about that. So we're going to read that this morning from Acts chapter 16. And I'm going to invite Nicola and Michael up, who are going to lead us as we read that this morning. So Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 11. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went to Nepolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several there several days. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Great work, guys. Sorry for choosing one with so many place names in it. You did awesome. That was mean of me. I apologise. You did a great job. Now, I'd forgotten, Kresh uh, is on this morning, so if you have Kresh-aged kids, uh, they can head to the door with their leaders. Uh, Sunday school kids, you guys get to stay in today. Uh, it'd be great if you can learn a bit about Philippi and how the Bible came there uh, and what happened in that city. So we're going to be talking to you guys this morning as well.
Now, I don't know if you've ever wondered this. Uh, have you ever wondered what you get rich people, and I'm talking like really rich people, for their birthday? What do you get a rich person for their birthday? You might have seen in the news this week, um, two billionaires just flew to space on their own private rockets. I, I think that's pretty cool. Like, imagine having your own private rocket. I mean, it's, you're like 10 steps down the path to evil supervillain, aren't you? Multi-billionaire, own private rocket, that's awesome. But what do, you, what, do you guy, what do you buy a person who has their own rocket for their birthday? It's going to look pretty average, isn't it? Whatever you get. I find it hard enough to buy stuff for Melinda and for the kids, let alone for a billionaire. What do you get them? Well, today we read about a rich city, as Nicola read before. We read about the city of Philippi. And you've got to imagine this city. It's a pretty big city, and it's a really well-off city, okay? Philippi is rich. Uh, it's rich because there were gold mines nearby and lots of other mines with lots of other precious metals too. Lots of money. And Philippi was a really privileged city as well. Philippi was a Roman uh, city. And so if you lived there, you were a Roman citizen. That is, you got all the privileges uh, and advantages of being called Roman. And there were lots of privileges for that. So imagine this city, reasonably sized city, rich and really privileged. And there, to a lady with lots of money, who dealt in high-end fashion, comes something that was truly worth a lot, true riches, because she got the gospel of Jesus. And what we're going to learn about today is how that happened and how that came about. So as we read, uh, we saw there in verse 13, it is the Sabbath day, that is the Jewish uh, Sunday, and uh, it's, it, the, Paul and his team are in Philippi and they want to pray, they want to worship God this morning. And so there's no church, there's no synagogue, so they head off to the river to, to find a place to pray. And at the river they meet some women who are already there doing that. Now in, in, if you're a Jew you need 10 men uh, to start a church or to start a synagogue. Clearly there wasn't enough and so this is what they did. They met on a Sunday, Saturday morning on the Sabbath down by the river to pray. And this is, this is what we read. Have a look at verse 13 and 14 again. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. I'll just stop there. So they meet this lady called Lydia, and Lydia is a very well-off lady, okay? Uh, purple cloth is rare and therefore expensive, so she makes her living selling that. And we're also told not only was she well-off, but she's a worshipper of God. Um, that means someone who's not born into the Jewish faith, but who has converted to it. So this lady has got it all, doesn't she? She's a citizen of Rome with all its privileges. She's wealthy and well-off. And she's got religion. She's, you know, got the big three of life. She's, she's got all she needs, you would think. And yet something happens to her. Something amazing. Look at the second half of verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. It's very simple. God opened her heart. <laughs> That's how plain it is. Do you notice uh, it's not Paul opening her heart? 
Um, we're not told that there was some amazing miracle or sign that was done that, that convinced her. We're not even told that Paul had a really great argument that morning and so convinced her to believe. What we're told is God opened her heart. It's, it's said so plainly, we kind of read over it, isn't it? And yet how remarkable a thing is happening. Because Paul tells us in a different part of the Bible, in the book of Ephesians, what our hearts are like. In Ephesians 2 and 4, he tells us that our hearts are sinful. He tells us that our hearts are hard, um, that our hearts are blind, he says. He even tells us that our hearts are dead. So what's happened here? It says so simply, but it's something amazingly profound. Her sinful heart has been forgiven. Her hard heart has been opened. Her blind heart has begun to see. And her dead heart has come to life. And all of that has happened as Paul has shared this wonderful message of Jesus' death and resurrection. That has opened in that. God has opened her heart. Um, I remember uh, when we lived in Geelong, we, we kept on getting locked out of our house, which is embarrassing. Uh, we had a little flat, and you know what it's like. You, know, you close the front door, and it closes it with a bang, and then you look at each other. Do you have the keys? Because <laughs> I don't. <laughs> That's not good. What do you do? Um, well, I don't know what your house is like, but our house always had a, that fly screen, you know, that, that window that, you know, you could break the fly screen out without actually breaking it, and you could force it open. You always, you always work out that. It's good to have that window, isn't it? As long as no one else knows about it. And so that's what you do. You pull the fly screen out, you force the window open, you try not to look very sus while you're doing this because, you know, you're breaking into a house and it seems very obvious. But you do that because the only way to open that window, the only way to open that door, sorry, is from the inside, isn't it? That's the only way you can get in. And it's the same with our hearts. The same with your heart and with my heart. Our hearts can only be opened from the inside. And there is only one person who can get inside our hearts. I mean, yes, I know technically a surgeon can open up your heart, but we're not talking about that sort of heart, are we? We're talking about your being. We're talking about who you are. And only God can open that. Only God can bring you to life. Because the only way to know Jesus, to come to love him, to be part of his people, to be forgiven forever, is to have an open heart. And God opens hearts. That's a huge relief, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever stopped really to think that through. That's an enormous relief. You can't make it happen. And that's good news. You can't open your friends' hearts, parents and grandparents. You can't open your kids' and grandkids' hearts. That's, that's not a work that you can do. And that's tremendously freeing to remember that, isn't it? Nothing you do will open a heart. And nothing that you have failed to do might have done that work. Because this job is not yours. We, we kind of get it into our heads that, you know, if only I would say this, you know, the perfect answer will convince that person. Or, you know, if only we bring up our kids doing all these right things, then they'll come to know Jesus. You know, the, the, the right upbringing will make it happen. But the passage says, no. Only God opens hearts that's his work and only he can do that work so be freed from trying because it will never happen 
you can't do it. What can you do? Well, you can pray to the God who opens hearts. You can pray for open hearts. We did that just before, didn't we? Pray that God would soften the hearts of our kids. Pray that God would open the hearts of our friends. That he would do a work that you can't, a wonderful work, that he would intervene. You can pray. You can pray to God to open hearts and you can speak. Because God opens hearts when his word is spoken. God opens hearts when his word is spoken, so speak it doesn't have to be the perfect words as if the just right explanation will convert someone or win them over that's not how it works god works as his word is spoken and he opens any heart we look at people and we see people who are less likely and maybe more likely but that's not how god sees it god sees all of us as needing his powerful work and he can open any heart the unlikely, the rebellious, the complacent, the self-righteous, even the ones like Lydia who had it all. That's the sort of heart he can open. And that's the sort of work he does. You pray, you speak, he opens hearts. That's his amazing work. So God alone opens hearts. But that's not quite the end of the story, is it? Look at the second half of verse 14 again. There's something else to notice there. The Lord opened her, that's Lydia's heart, to respond to Paul's message. God opens hearts and people need to respond. God's taken the initiative. God's done that amazing, amazing powerful, wonderful work. But people need to receive that. Not leave him hanging, but believe what he's opened them to hear and to, to see and to understand. That is to accept. To accept what he's doing. To accept what he's saying. I mean, it's not some special deed that he's asking us to do. It's not some amazing act. It's simply believe. Believe what God says is true. Believe what God says about you is true. Believe what God says about Jesus is true. And about his life-giving death and resurrection is your only hope. That's what's being asked here. Here then believe. Now notice, notice how it works here. <laughs> it's not, um, you've heard the message, now let's wait and see and if some point, you know, God will open your heart and do that work. We, we don't know if that's going to happen, so we'll just wait and see un until that happens. That's not how it works at all. What we're told is, God opened. How do we know that that was the case? Lydia responded. The evidence we have is that she responded, that she believed. That's how we know. Um, I don't know if you've ever done one of those hearing tests at the doctors. Have you ever been and had your ears checked? You know, they put the, the ginormous earphones on you and they give you the little thing that you have to squeeze when you hear a beep. It's, it's the most frustrating test ever. Because you know what it's like. You, you put them on, everything's quiet, and you start thinking, was that a beep? <laughs> or did my ears just squeak? Uh, was that a beep? No, no, no. Was that a beep? Maybe that one was a beep. I'll just wait till the next one to make... Yes, it was a beep. Oh, no, I've missed a beep. I'm, I'm going to get the wrong end. It's awful, isn't it? It's a terrible test. It's the worst test ever. Invent another one, please. Now, we might be tempted to think that our hearts work in the same way. Has God opened my heart? Or am I just feeling a bit emotional this morning? Has God opened my heart? 
or am I just really tired? <laughs> no, we, we might be tempted. Is that it? Was that it? But it's the wrong question, isn't it? Because you can't feel that moment that God opens your heart. It's not like you get butterflies in your tummy. It's not like this light comes down from heaven or anything that you might see in one of the Avengers movies. It doesn't work like that. It's, it, it doesn't happen like that. How do you know if God's really opened your heart? You believe. You believe what he said. You accept it. And that's the proof that he's done that work. That's how we know for sure. Because you can only believe if he has really opened your heart. And so there's a challenge for us, isn't there? There's a, there's a call on us to respond. That's your responsibility, to respond by believing for yourself everything that he has said. Uh, when I moved out of home, that's when we got married, there were a few things that I learned about life pretty quickly. <laughs> that may not come as a real surprise to you. Uh, I learned that dishes, dirty dishes, stayed on the kitchen bench. <laughs> um, I learned that when the fridge got empty, it didn't magically refill. I learned that my clothes stayed on the floor. See, all of these things I had to learn because that wasn't how I understood life. When I lived at home, dishes magically reappeared in the cupboard clean. Every second day, clothes clean and folded were on my bed. The fridge was full. The internet and the lights were always on. It was amazing. It was a magical wonderland. And when I moved out, that didn't happen anymore because we had to do it for ourselves, didn't we? <laughs> we had to do it ourselves. We, we couldn't rely on mum and dad to just move into our house and do that and then move back out. That would have been great, but they weren't that, that keen on that idea. <laughs> we couldn't rely on our parents any longer. We had to do it ourselves. And the same is true for us spiritually. You can't rely on others to do this for you. You can't rely on just the fact that you're in this building or belong to a church to do this for you. You have to respond. You have to believe to receive this that God's offering. Now, this is true for all of us. This may be news for some of you, but you need to respond yourself personally. Merely being in this building, merely joining the church does not magically give you all this stuff. You need to personally receive it and commit to it. But especially, I want to talk to our kids here. You guys, it's an amazing privilege. You have parents who have taught you about the Bible, who have brought you along to church, so you read the Bible, learned about Jesus. That is an awesome thing. You should be really thankful about that. But you can't rely on your parents all the time for this. You can't rely on your parents here. Because there comes a time when you need to make that choice for yourself. When you need to think about Jesus and ask yourself, will I respond to him? Will I believe what he says? That's a big deal. And so you need to think it through very carefully. You need to think about what your parents have taught you, what you've learned at youth and at Sunday school and in church, what you've heard about his love and his goodness and his forgiveness. And you need to ask yourself, will I accept that? Will I believe that for myself and put my trust in him? 
Now, if you're not sure, that's okay. <laughs> We're not going to pressure anyone into a decision. But we'd say, ask the questions. Look into it further. Come and, come and have a chat with your youth leaders or with, uh, with myself or with your parents and let's talk about that. But also, don't put it off. And if you remember what the teacher said a couple of weeks ago in Ecclesiastes, remember he said, remember your creator in the days of your youth. That is, trust him now. Learn about him now. Because his way is good. So don't wait. But believe. We have a God who works in our hearts. <laughs> That's an amazing thing. We have a God who, by his incredible grace, opens up our sinful, hard and dead hearts to believe in Jesus, to be forgiven in him and to live with him forever. And all of that is yours. Not by waiting, not by someone else doing it for you, but simply by responding, by believing and trusting and committing yourself to him. And if you've done that, that is awesome. Let's, let's celebrate that. That is so good. And if not yet, then maybe today or maybe soon, but don't delay. He loves you. He longs for you to respond. So do. Trust him and begin your life with him, maybe even now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to praise you for your incredibly gracious work in our lives, that you would come to us and open the hearts of sinners like us to receive the life-giving news of Jesus' death and resurrection. Father, that is amazing, that you have loved us so much to do that for us, and that you love us so much that you don't ask anything of us except to believe you and to trust you. Father, I want to praise you this morning for those here who have responded to you, who have trusted you. I want to praise you for the work that you have done in their life, for opening their hearts. I want to pray that you would keep growing them in you, that they would know you and love you more. Father, I want to pray for those who are still thinking this decision through. Father, I pray that they would learn about you well, that they would see you clearly, how much you love them, how much you've given for them and that they would put their trust in you. Father, by your grace, do that work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing uh, of that hope that we have, that, that beautiful and wonderful gift that God has given us in Jesus. We're going to stand and...